Hi, everyone. Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. Thank you for listening to this name drop edition of the News Fix, where we highlight the fascinating people that make San Diego such a great place to live. Jerry McCormick definitely fits that bill. He's a communicator, journalist, college instructor. He's active in organizations that support Black journalists, and he's also a Comic-Con nerd. Overall, he's just really dedicated to his community, and it shows. We get into some of the details and his resume right off the bat, so I won't keep you waiting. Here's our conversation. Well, Jerry McCormick, thank you so much for joining me. Um, You are an Emmy-winning TV producer. I think the first Emmy winner we've ever had on our show. So I definitely want to talk to you about that. But um, I want to rattle off some of your accomplishments because uh, they're they're really awesome. So you're the senior PIO for the city of San Diego or a senior PIO for the city of San Diego. You're the founding president of the San Diego Association of Black Journalists. You are an instructor at at San Diego State University. And I'm sure that I missed something in that lineup, but I mean, it is an amazing career. And like I said, first Emmy winner on the show, what do you have an Emmy for? So I won an Emmy in 24. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm I'm really excited to be here. Um, I won an Emmy in 2014 for the Boston bombing. And how that came to be was we did a special show. I was working for NBC7 at the time, and we did a special show, um, the network had said that they wanted all the owned and operated stations to do a 10 10 p.m. show. And so all the other producers were busy and I was the one that was in the hot seat. So I, along with some other producers, got together, planned a show. The anchors also helped. We did a kick butt show. And then I thought, well, maybe I should submit this for an Emmy. And I did. And I won. And I was so shocked because um, that was my first time trying to submit for an Emmy and I won and I just could not believe it. I was just stunned. Um, At the time when I won my Emmy, I had left the station and I moved to Portland, Oregon. So I flew back for the, the ceremony and I remember walking into my now new station with the Emmy and everybody's jaw dropped. And I was just like... Yeah, this is what I did this weekend. What did you guys do? <laughs> I love it. Um, well, yeah, what an incredible um, story. And, you know, like having to rally so quickly to cover it. But I mean, during your time with NBC and, and Fox 5 in San Diego, what are some other memorable stories you worked on? Oh, man. So um, there was a shooting Well, so one of the things I've learned the hard way, I've been in journalism for 30 years, mainly in print. And then the last, uh, well, no, let me, let me do my math right. I was mainly in print. And then in 2009, I switched over to broadcast. And then in 2017, I got the job that I have now, but I was working at Fox. I was working on a Sunday show, producing the show. And I cursed myself by saying, wow, I have my show almost done. And then over the scanner, it was a Sunday afternoon. I, we started hearing all this police activity and our assignment editor was like, it's, it's a training activity. It has to be. And I'm thinking, no, it's not. Well, come to find out there was a man who went to, um, it was near UTC and he brought a gun to a pool party and shot and killed someone. And so we had to scramble and do a special broadcast 
And that was the day that we all pulled together as a team and we blew out commercials and everything because this was just, it was a huge breaking news story. So that was one of the most memorable things for me. And I, and I remember never say that out loud again, just keep it to yourself. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely can identify with those uh, journalist superstitions. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. that's right. You did come from print. In fact, you've worked at the newspaper where I work now. That's, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I started, uh, I moved out here from South Carolina, my home, um, September 1st, 1999. And I started at a paper September 13th, 1999. I don't know why I remember those dates, but they're etched into my mind. And my last day was uh, May 13th, I think, 2009. And then I started at NBC a few weeks later. Amazing. Well, I want to ask you about Ukraine um, because it's it's in obviously in the news right now. We're talking, you know, the day right after Russia has invaded Ukraine. You've been really active on Twitter today, thanking journalists um, for their work. You know, talking about why journalism matters, um, and also talking about how to spot fake coverage and stuff like that. It's an it's really an important perspective, and I think that one that we don't always think about. You know, without journalists, we wouldn't know what's going on with the story abroad. So, what is the message uh, you're trying to get out? to respect the people that are trying to deliver the news to you. Um, these people and I are risking their lives. I mean, they're like in the thick of things, like there are things exploding around them. I cannot even imagine if it were me, I would be screaming and hollering <laughs> and running, you know, and I'm sure that's probably sadly might happen. Let's hope it doesn't. And then let's hope no one gets killed live on TV either. Um, but they're they're remaining calm. They're giving us uh, blow by blow what's happening. But in addition, you guys at home, you're bringing us the story too. You're you know uh, dividing resources. Like I think right now downtown, there's a, a protest going on, um, and reporters here at home are trying to localize this story. For the last well, the last administration, I'll say it like that turn the public against us, in my humble opinion, not everybody, but a lot of people, and introduce fake news into the lexicon. And I'm sorry, I don't agree with that. You know, yes, there are some people that you have to give the side eye to, some some pundits, if you will. But a lot of you, or us, because I still consider journalism is like the mob, you're never really out. (laughs) Um, A lot of us, are, you know, working very hard day in and day out, you know, to deliver the news. And so even though I'm I'm not practicing pure journalism, if you will, I'm still journalism adjacent. And I know what it's like, you know, not eating, <laughs> working through your lunch break, running to the bathroom. And when I say run, I mean, literally running to the bathroom so you don't miss anything, long hours, that sort of thing. And I just want you guys to know that I appreciate you. And I'm noticing a lot of journalists are like, oh, like, thank you. <laughs> you know, I didn't expect all of that. It was just me just saying, hey, I see you guys. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. You know, who knows where the story is going to end, but it, it begins with journalists on the scene. So thank you for doing your job and going above and beyond. Yeah, well, th- thank you for pointing that out. I mean, it's, Seems like it would be obvious, but I think that that fact gets lost. You know, we do only know about these stories because of the people um, 
on the ground there and working on it. But I, I wanted to ask you more about, I mean, journalism. You are a journalism professor at a time when journalism has been maligned and it's not always looked at um, through a very positive lens, uh, you know, like what, what do you hear from your students and, and what do you say to your students, you know, uh, about the importance of being in the business? So I also teach at Southwestern College and I teach print to those students and I teach broadcast to uh, my students at San Diego State. So I'm still living in both worlds, if you will. So print is, as you know, having a hard time. Um, Last week, I was devastated when uh, the Entertainment Weekly announced that it would no longer publish a hard copy. And when I say devastated, I mean devastated. Like, I remember buying the first one, Janet Jackson on the cover. I've kept that subscription. Wow. <laughs> I let all the things go, but that's the one that I kept. And it, it's just sad. It's just, it just makes me really sad. But I teach my students the advertising is the fuel in the media machine. And news is not free. They've been trained, and this is for both sets of students, they've been trained, oh, the internet's free, I can get it, you know. And I wish I could go back in time to the day someone said, hey, let's put news stories on the internet so people can look at them. I would like to give that person a stern talking to, <laughs> saying, let's not do that, you know. Then the story, think about it. The story you're reading, somebody had to write it. Somebody had to edit it. Somebody had to go out and interview sources, although we're using Zoom because of the pandemic, but still work had to be done to craft this. Those people have mortgages. Some of them have children. Some of them are single, but they still need to eat. Where is that money coming from? It ain't free. It's not coming from the air. You know, it's coming from advertising and subscriptions. And so, yes, you're benefiting from that person's hard work, but what are you getting back to make sure that a person keeps working? And I don't think people think to that level. It's just, here's the story I want to read about Cardi B. Okay, great. On to the next thing. But they don't stop and think about the work that went into getting that story about Cardi B or what's going on in the Ukraine or why gas prices are so darn high, or why San Diego is one of the most expensive places to live in the country, somebody had to go out and get that story. And so, you know, imagine whatever job you have was dependent on whether people paid attention to what you were doing. That would make people think things in, in a different light, I think. Yeah, that's definitely the biggest struggle for journalism is we've trained people to expect this for free, you know, and now that we need them to pay because of all the reasons you just said, it hasn't turned out to be that easy. Um, well, I want to ask you more about uh, your time as a teacher. So I was really fortunate to meet your class the other day. I think they were so impressive and engaged, and it honestly gave me a lot of hope for young people. Um, and I know that you teach them all sorts of things, but what have you learned being a teacher of them? Well, I learned that there's hope. Um, first of all, my students, I consider them my kids and I have my hashtag Jerry's kids and I keep track of these kids. Um, and I'm 53 years old. I'm not ashamed of my age. And these young people, they come in my class, they're bright eyed, like, yeah. And 
that excites me because I want to help them reach their dream, you know, and not everybody goes into journalism. Some people go through my class and go, oh, this is not for me. And that's fine. I, it's, I help them discover. And I tell them the first day, journalism is not for the weak. It's just not. And you may have this idealized way or thinking from the from us, the media, <laughs> about how journalism is. But, you know, there's the real story and there's real ways of deadline and pressure and all of that. And if you can't handle that, then you don't belong. But overall, they give me hope because, you know, the reality is, you know, I'm getting older and at some point I'm going to say enough is enough and shuffle off to the great journalism beyond. And I want to know that, okay, everything's okay down here. So that's why I work really hard. In fact, I am, I'm a member of a group, uh, the National Association of Black Journalists, and I started an initiative where our membership Uh, It's called the HBCU Initiative for Historically Black Colleges. I attended a historically Black college in Columbia, South Carolina, and we didn't have the resources that the school down the street, the University of South Carolina, the real USC. Let me just throw that shade right there. (laughs) Um, So um, because they came first. Anyway, um, hope I didn't turn off half the listeners. Um, Anyway, (laughs) I'm going to edit that um, out, Jerry. That's not going to (laughs) be just kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, okay. So, but we didn't have the resources that the University of South Carolina had, and, but I still made it. And that was through perseverance. And so I remembered that. And this initiative is for us professionals to kind of go back to our schools and help them, you know, mentor them, train them, network with them. And um, we're actually going to be giving away. We're having an event. Uh, I don't know when this is going to run, but uh, we're having an event and we are doing a virtual training day and we have like close to 300 students signed up for this. And we've got uh, uh, big companies, uh, a part of this, and these kids are excited. And that makes me excited because this thing started out as an idea and now it's coming to fruition. And obviously this is going to continue, but to answer the circle back, the students give me hope and events like that give me hope because good journalists are never really going to die. You know, good journalism is never going to die and journalism is never going to die as long as there are people who are willing to sacrifice for it. Yeah, that's a great answer. I feel like we all need a dose of that. You know, we all need to sit in with your class every now and again to remember there is a new generation coming up that's going to sort of carry the torch. Um, Okay. Well, I want to hop to a lightning round, just some random questions for you. The first one is what are you reading or watching right now? That has nothing to do with the news. Somebody somewhere on HBO. And uh, I discovered it through a podcast I listened to called pop culture. I mean, yeah. Pop culture happy hour. And I binged it and I love it. And I'm waiting for the finale on Sunday and I'm going to be sad. What is it about? I, that sounds familiar, but. Okay. It's, it's about this woman who moves to, I want to say Manhattan, Kansas. It's somewhere in Kansas. And six months, we come into the story six months after her sister dies. Cause she moved home to take care of her sister and there's family drama. And she works at a, a, a place that basically grades SAT tests and she meets this gay guy and they become friends 
And then they go, um, the gay guy invites her to choir practice, but choir practice is actually a place where the gay people in the small town can gather and have drinks and have fun. And the two of them become friends and she's dealing with uh, an alcoholic mother, a sister who's just wound too tight and a dad who's getting older. And it's the family dynamics. And I wish I could remember the lead actress's name, but she is fantastic. And um, it's it's like one of HBO's hidden gems. HBO does that to me. I'll be like, yeah, I'll watch the, you know, the Big Bang movies or whatever. And then they'll release something just so good. Because I sometimes I think I'm going to drop the subscription and then they'll release <laughs> something. I'm like, dang it, I got to pay this money. Yeah. I agree with that. Okay, that sounds great. I will check it out and I will drop in the outro the name of the lead actress. Um, right. Next question. What is your favorite and least favorite thing about San Diego? Oh, let's see. My favorite thing is actually a place and it's Crown Point. Um, I walk there uh, as much as possible. Um, I love being by, you know, Mission Bay. I love just people watching. I love being in the fresh air and the sunshine, especially during the pandemic. It really helped me with my mental health because I would go walk and it actually helped me on my weight loss journey um, because I wound up losing 120 pounds. And it was like every day I took a little mini vacation. So Hmm. that's my favorite thing. Least favorite. Oh, least favorite. Oh, let's see. What don't I like about San Diego? Um, Gosh. Uh, Okay. (laughs) There aren't. Okay. No, I have something now that there aren't more African-Americans here. I don't think African-Americans realize how beautiful this place is. In fact, a really funny story. um, I moved here because I got recruited by the Union Tribune at a job fair. And I used, there was this woman that I used to work with at the newspaper in Columbia where I was working. And she was like, you should come work in San Diego. And, and I was like, yeah, no. And then 10 seconds later, I'm not kidding. Another friend of ours who worked at the same paper, she moved away. And I said, hey, you know, I'm thinking about leaving the state. That was the name of the paper. Where would you go if you had to go somewhere And she said, oh, I would be in San Diego with a quickness. And I was like, why? Are the Black people there? (laughs) And she's like, oh, yeah. And so anyway, the Union Tribune recruited me and I got here. And then I discovered that Comic-Con is here. And I was like, oh, heck yes, I'm staying. And so, uh, yeah. Oh, Mm -hmm. I should say Comic-Con too. Well, you only asked me one. but That's okay. You can throw Comic-Con. I've gone, gosh maybe I've missed one in the last 21 years. Wow. Do you like dress up and do the whole thing? I tell people, because people ask me that question all the time, you know, what do you go as? And I say, I go as a fabulous black man. (laughs) All day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. Awesome. No, but I love it. I've, I've, I'm one of those that will sleep outside. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I'm hardcore. And um, I have a alliance because uh, the Hall H Alliance is what we call ourselves. Because you, you know, if for you newbies with Comic Con, you cannot do this by yourself. You need a plan and you need a friend. And you'll learn 
after you go a couple of times, you'll learn, you'll be like, okay. Um, and I met some of my good, good friends, gosh, like 12 years ago. And we, um, we've just kind of been in alliance ever since mm-hmm. we keep track and we, you know, talk on Twitter and are you going this year? Yeah, I'm going. Okay. What time will you be there? Okay. Cause I live here and they live in LA and other parts of California. And we have one that lives in Kansas. And so uh, she comes late and we hold her space in line and, you know, usually I'm first and then they come and I'm like, I'm here, come over here. And then we take turns in the line because we want to see different panels and Saturday is the big day. And I remember when we, I first started going, you could just kind of get up a couple of hours early and be in line and you could get in. Now it's a madhouse. People are getting in line days ahead of time for the Saturday panels. I don't think we're going to get back to this point because of the pandemic. I think that that's kind of taking the wind out of our sails. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Um, Comic-Con is one of my favorite things because I like being amongst my people, the nerds, and there's something for everybody. Um, and I just love walking the floor because you never know who you're going to see because sometimes I spotted celebrities on the floor. Um, I like the panels. I like meeting people that think like me, like the same things like me. And we're just one big nerdy family. I love it. I love it. I, I've only, I haven't been here very long, as you know, so I've been to the abbreviated version that happened, I think late last year and just for, just for a minute to check it out. But when the next one rolls around, I would like to have you on for like a Comic-Con survival crash course. <laughs> oh, I absolutely. I'm, I'm the king of that. I okay. can do that. Yes. I, I've actually, when I worked at the UT, that was one of the things I did. I, I was one of the Comic-Con reporters and cause they just knew yeah, Jerry's got this. Love it. <laughs> um, and and ask Carla Peterson. She she would. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm the king of that. So I would absolutely be glad to do that. Will do. Yeah, looking forward to your tips. Okay, one last lightning round question, and then I want to get back to you know more in depth into your story. Um, what is your favorite memory from childhood? Oh, my favorite memory from childhood, or one of them. Uh. Okay, I have one. It was okay. So, my grandfather, um, Artemis uh, McCormick, he died in 1978. And I remember I grew up in a very poor family. There were nine of us. I was, I'm the youngest of nine. And my dad got laid off, and our TV was broken. And I was a little brat, freely admitted. And Saturday morning cartoons were on and I was upset because I couldn't see my Saturday morning cartoons and I was crying and carrying on. And so my grandfather lived maybe within spitting distance of us, like we could walk to his house in 45 seconds. He was that close to us. And so he came over. He's like, why is this child crying? What's going on? And I was like, I can't see my cartoons. And he's like, boy, come over here. Come to my house. So his grandpa had an old, like, old, like Lucy and Desi sort of TV, <laughs> one of those floor model TV, you know, but it worked. And I sat there and watched the skate birds and whatever else was on during that time. And that was the first time that my grandfather and I bonded. Like I stayed over there the whole day. And 
that that just really you know made me happy but sadly two weeks later he passed away mm-hmm. and so I got to have that memory with him before he passed away and that's one of my favorite childhood memories oh that's beautiful that's really special I'm glad you had that me too um, well, I want to ask you about your weight loss journey, which we referenced here. You're pretty public about it. You have a hashtag, see Jerry Lose, which is fun to follow, where you post updates. How did how did this journey begin and how's it going? So I've been struggling to lose weight for quite a while. And I in 2014, I, I ran <laughs> I ran the rock and roll marathon here. And I, I was on my way to losing weight and I was, you know, doing well. And then I moved to Oregon. And as you know, I moved to Portland and I was a manager at a television station. Oh boy. So it rained all the time. It was cold. I worked the overnight shift and long days. Like I would come in at 10 o'clock at night and leave three in the afternoon. And so, and and then when I was off, I'd crash because I was so tired or, you know, I ate really bad food. So the weight piled on. Then I moved back to San Diego because I I stayed, I could only stay a year and a half. That's all I could stand. And I got a job and I mean, it paid, but it wasn't like enough to handle all of the bills. So I got two jobs. And so then it was just, you know, work, 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 work. So anyway, to fast forward, um, my brother passed away um, last March and I had a nephew pass away and my mom and dad had passed away and another brother passed away. So and a niece. So I had a lot, I've had a lot of death in my family and a lot of it had to do with hypertension. Um, uh, sorry, no, uh, hypertension. Um, heart failure, stroke. And I just took a look at myself and I said, Jerry, you need to do something. And so I decided to pursue my weight loss. And I've tried every diet under the sun. You know, I did cabbage soup. I don't recommend that. (laughs) I ran a marathon and I actually ran 26.2 miles. Then I did two halves all in six weeks. Jerry, I don't even think I could walk that far. Like, honestly, (laughs) let me tell you, you will see Jesus several times while we're running (laughs) 26.2 miles. You will. And you will see Mary and Ezekiel too, because I was calling for him. But um, so if I, that was my barometer. Like if I, I, I did that and I didn't lose the weight, then something I needed to do something drastic. So that being said, I um, decided to pursue uh, weight loss surgery. And I had done my investigation um, because former journalist here. So I did my research. I looked around town and I found a surgeon that was right for me. And then on June 28th, I had my surgery. Was it hard? Yes, (laughs) it was hard. Um, But the weight started coming off. I had to be mentally and physically ready for it. And I was because enough was enough. And now I'm down 120 pounds. And it's been exciting to rediscover clothes 
um, that I couldn't wear. In fact, you know, there's this shirt that I'm wearing now. I haven't been able to wear this shirt in like eight years. And now it fits and it's loose, you know? And so that's been fun. Um, being able to um, do some of the things that I couldn't do. I was trapped in a fat body. And now, and, I, and, and let me say this, this is not the choice for everyone. Okay. But this was the right choice for me. And so I don't regret it. I don't miss some of the fatty foods that I used to eat. I thought, oh my God, I may never eat another hamburger again. You know, what will I do? Um, but it's been great and mm -hmm. I'm loving life. And I know I extended my life because I have a lot of life to live. Yeah. That's really inspiring. And you look fantastic by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and and I, I share my journey to, sorry, let me just say one more thing. I share my journey to also keep me accountable because I have a lot of people. I'm lucky that I have a lot of friends and a lot of people who love me and root for me. And so when I share, you know, the pictures or, you know, oh, today I'm not feeling like it or whatever, my people lift me up and they're my cheerleaders. And um, I remember Will Smith said, you should have, and I'm not getting the quote right. Uh, but he said something in an I remember it's an Instagram post. He said, everybody doesn't deserve to be around you. And you should have people around you that stoke and light your fire. And that stayed with me. And so that's who I surround myself with. That's great advice. I wanted to say one of the things that um, I find really inspiring about you is how open you are about who you are. You know, we've had conversations where you've mentioned not necessarily fitting in in San Diego. You've mentioned your skin color, your weight, your sexuality, but at the same time, you're super open about it. And you're just like, you know, here, here I am, like, here's what, what you get. Were you always like that? Or did you have to sort of develop that confidence to put yourself out there? I had to develop it because um, I came out when I was 24 years old in Colorado, of all places. <laughs> um, and this was in the 90s. Uh, I remember I moved from, I was working at the Cleveland Plain Dealer um, up until 1992. And then I moved to, I drove across the country from Cleveland to Colorado Springs. And I remember getting to um, my apartment and I bought a TV and because I got to have a TV and um, plugged in the TV and there was an anchor woman. I think her name was Sandra Mann. And at the time it was Amendment 2, which was uh, the special rights amendment with gays. And it says Amendment 2 has passed. And it was one of those tricky written amendments where you had to vote no to mean yes. And so I was like, holy Jesus, <laughs> you know, where have I moved? And so I just kind of kept to myself, didn't say anything, you know, that sort of thing. And then um, I would come home to South Carolina and visit my friends when I had vacation time. And so one of my friends and I, we went to um, this gathering of black gay men in Washington, D.C. during a Memorial Day celebration. And I remember I was dancing on the speaker and I was just looking down and seeing the sea of beautiful men. And I thought, OK, enough is enough. So I remember flying back and I said, I'm going to come out. I'm going to come out. And I went to work and um, I 
called my, I called my boss. I said, I need to tell you something. Can we talk? Went into office and God bless Russell Small, wherever you are in the world now. I'd say, I told him and he was like, we know, we've <laughs> always known. <laughs> what it, thank you for telling us. You know, he didn't, it was not a big deal. And so from then on, I didn't have to play the pronoun game. Me and some friends, we, you know, I could say I went out on a date with this guy and I promised myself from then on, what you see is what you get. And if you can't deal with it, then that sounds like a personal problem to me. Wow. What an amazing story. I have goosebumps, honestly. Oh, like, well, thank you. <laughs> I think that's something um, a lot of us would like to do, just be completely transparent and out about who we are, you know, but it's, it takes a lot of courage. It's not easy. Oh, I know. And I've had, you know, I've had difficulties here and there where people, you know, didn't like me. And, you know, I used to be a people pleaser too. And I stopped that. I'm telling you, once you get over 50 things, your perspective <laughs> change. <laughs> you don't have time for foolishness. You do not have time for that. And so, you know, either you're with me or you're against me. And if you're against me, you do, you go over there and I'll just keep me and my friends over here and we'll be fine. We can coexist. That's amazing. That's the second time I've heard that. My grandmother said, told me the same thing. She's like, my favorite age was 50 because that's just when you stop caring and you start doing you, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I look forward to it. Okay. Final question. You have already done so much in your life as we've talked about, but what else do you want to do? What else is on your bucket list? Where do you think your career might go and just your life in general? So I've never been overseas. Ironic that we're talking about that considering what's going on in the Ukraine. But I would love to visit Europe and see some of those places. Um, I'm, I'm a homebody, though. I mean, like, I, I can go on a trip for, like, five or six days, but I like being around my stuff, you know? <laughs> I, I don't know why I am the way I am, but, you know, some people are like, oh, I was gone for two weeks. That's not me. Uh-uh. I would <laughs> That drives me nuts. It's like, no, I need to get back to my stuff. And um, I like that. Um, Personal goals, I don't know. I mean, I've kind of, in journalism, I've done it all, I think, that I wanted, I mean, I've worked in print, been, you know, I've done copy editing, I've done reporting way back in the day, um, in broadcast, I was a producer, I was an executive producer, I, I, you know, I didn't want to go any higher than that. And now I'm working in public relations as a PIO for um, the city, you know, the eighth largest city in the country. Um, I don't know. And I'm teaching, you know, I'm sharing my knowledge to, you know, the kids that need it. So I, I'm going to see where life takes me because, you know, what is it they say? You make plans. Uh, wait, you, you make plans and God laughs. <laughs> so um, I'm just going to trust that I'm going to be okay. And whatever happens, I hope I'm ready for it. <laughs> awesome. Well, looking forward to following your journey and wherever, wherever you land. But Jerry McCormick, thank you so much for spending time with me. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for joining me for this episode of the San Diego News Fix Name Drop Edition. If there's someone in our community that you would like to learn more about, please drop me a line. I'm at christy.totten at sduniontribune.com. You can also find me on Twitter. We'll be back Monday.